Welcome to the Iron Mind Podcast. Join me, Josh Brumley, as we explore the minds of those who forged their paths through legal battles, business triumphs, and creative conquests. In each episode, we sit down with inspiring individuals who sharpened their resolve in the fires of entrepreneurship and law. From lawyers breaking barriers to entrepreneurs overcoming obstacles, we uncover the stories behind their iron wills and innovative minds. Get ready for thought-provoking conversations, practical insights, and actionable advice. This is the Iron Mind Podcast. So we're here today with Dr. Kyle Osborne from Seattle Spine and Sports Medicine. Tell us a little bit about your background. All right, so I am a chiropractor. My dad was a chiropractor. My brother's a chiropractor. I was, uh, I, I did my undergrad uh, at 2010 to 2013, went to chiropractic school in the Bay Area at Life West, graduated in 2014. I had a business interest in my undergrad, actually watching Shark Tank. That was probably <laughs> the first moment where I was thinking, man, medical sounds great, but this is super cool. And I got married, got married. I went to BYU, so got married really young, as everyone who goes to BYU does. And I, uh, being married and realizing that life, you know, starts, um, I, 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 I had to be realistic about my dreams. I mean, I probably wasn't going to create some widget and then make millions of dollars by just, you know, hedging my bets on Shark Tank, um, <laughs> it, realizing that the healthcare industry, the service industry is something tried and true. That's kind of when I, I thought to myself, you know what, I probably, based on my personality and just my understanding of the healthcare field, that's probably a safer way to go. But I entered chiropractic school with the idea that my dad was a, a chiropractor he worked really long hours growing up, and every time he went on vacation, it was very difficult for him because he had to close his doors, and every day he wasn't there treating patients, he was losing money. And he would talk about it. It affected his vacation. It also affected the types of things he would do. Skiing or other sports was difficult because he would say to me, if I break my arm, you don't eat. <laughs> and I was, Whoa, like, that's a lot of I was like, man, this is crazy. So I like the healthcare industry in that I feel like I can relate with people, create a business that way. But I don't necessarily want to just rely on myself physically to be able to support my family. So when I went into chiropractic school, I had the idea that I would create some sort of a business, a business that hopefully would take care of chiropractors would allow for a career if the listeners here have met many chiropractors they probably probably all of them own their own business because there isn't or there hasn't historically been a, a sort of uh system or franchise opportunity or anything that they could just plug and play and be paid a decent salary and be paid benefits usually historically it has been the a chiropractor uh, graduates from college, works for another chiropractor for not very high of a wage for a couple of years. And then out of necessity, they realize, wow, if I'm going to make any sort of a career um, and get ahead, I need to start my own thing. And not all of them want to be business owners, but 
they're more or less forced into it. So that's what I did. I graduated school and my idea was I'm going to have multiple practices and I'm going to hire chiropractors and pay them a good wage and, you know, make less per clinic, but maybe have more clinics and have a name um, that that means something and in pool together, together my resources uh, and and be able to market all the clinics together. So that was my that was my idea. It all changed because my first clinic, which was in South Seattle, was mostly did a lot of personal injury. And it was a mix of patients that some had personal injury protection, PIP, which pays your medical bills, the normal net 30 days, and the other 50% of the patients didn't have health insurance and didn't have PIP coverage. So I would have to hold their bill until settlement, which could take one, two, three years. And that was all fine and good for the patients that just had a, a, a general sprain, strain, injury, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of neck pain, back pain. But for the patients that had a more serious injury, they had head trauma, they had a send out for MRI, maybe there were some disc issues, uh, hard tissue cases, fractures, things like that. Uh, it becomes very difficult for a conservative therapy uh, provider to not have a network, to feel like you're out, you're on an island, and the, there's nothing more you can do for these patients. Not all of those patients, all of the, all of them, you know, most of them were helped somewhat from the therapy that I was given, but then they they, they would plateau. And for the patients that had PIP or patients that had health insurance, there are options for those patients, at least until their PIP is exhausted, which in Washington state, it's $10,000 for PIP. The next level is 35000 but most people don't have that. It's usually either no PIP, they, they waive that, or they have $10,000. And so then it, it was, you know, kind of my choice after you send out an MRI, after you do some treatment, there might not be very much left. And so maybe you can get a consultation for those patients uh, with an orthopedic surgeon or a neurologist or something. But they also, most other clinics, they want to see that there's a secondary coverage, a good health insurance or something like that. So um, it wasn't as much of an issue with this first practice because again, it was a 50-50 split with insurance. Then I opened up my second practice I want to say in 2015 or 16, and it was in Burien. And Burien, mostly Hispanic, patient base, and uh, almost no one had PIP. So I was treating a lot of these third-party lean sort of patients. And for some interesting reason, that first year that I took over that practice in Burien, there was a lot of really intense injuries, and there was nowhere to send these patients. I reached out to Seattle Spine and Sports Medicine, which um, was around in Seattle. So they had two locations in Seattle and Linwood. And I would send patients that had PIP there, but they weren't accepting third party. Um, so they weren't able to help with my third party patients. But I really respected the care that the Seattle Spine physicians gave the patients um, I, and I, I, I wanted more of my patients to receive that care. So I reached out to the owner of Seattle spine and his name's Richard Cerusi. And he was, um, not necessarily very interested in growing his, his practice beyond the two locations that they had Seattle and Linwood. 
He was kind of later in his career. I believe he's early 60s at the time. And uh, but I, I maybe gave him a sob story about my patients and how I wish I could refer my patients over and all the types of therapy and treatment that I feel like they needed. Um, and so he, he took a chance on me and we ended up partnering to open up a clinic in Renton to be able to offer this service to more people. Uh, backtrack a little bit before I, I went to Richard Sarusi, I knew the CEO of ProLiance at the time and met with him and explained this dilemma to him and ProLiance for those attorneys who are in Washington is the uh, kind of premier orthopedic group, at least in King County, Snohomish County, and then going into Pierce County. And then kind of in Pierce County, it, it switches. There's a few different groups, uh, but definitely where I was it, there, there's, there's a, an orthopedic, there's ProLiance and Burien and, you know, rent and it's very big and, and in Seattle. And so I, I explained to him the reason why ProLiance should accept these third party patients. You know, if it's a good patient with legitimate injuries and a good attorney, hopefully to, uh, you know, with with the, the the third party treatment, really at the end of the day is a relationship. It's a, it's a trust relationship where you have to trust that the attorney is going to is 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 going to you know take the case from where it is and uh, be able to work up the injuries or at least be in con concert with the 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 injuries with the pa that the patients have and the treatment that they're getting you're going to trust that 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 the attorney is going to be able to get the true value for the case and ultimately pay back um pay those medical bills in full um there there are instances where it hasn't worked out in the past but it's in in all cases it's usually because their relationship isn't there the, the relationship between the medical providers and the law firms is important because, A, having that communication with the law firm to help you guys understand where those limits might be or if the case is not being worked up properly, maybe you can uh, let the client know that they're maybe not being mm -hmm. represented to the best way possible. Like yeah. what happens if an attorney blows a statute for a case that you guys are working yeah. on, stuff like that can happen. Yeah. And how does that affect the clients? And if you guys have a good relationship with the law firm or the attorneys, how does that better serve your, your clients to help them understand what their legal rights are, especially when their legal rights aren't always being protected. And there can be a conflict of interest sometimes between the law firms and the medical there are lawyers that want to keep medical bills low because they're not looking to litigate cases there are lawyers out there that don't really care to know what the policy limits are because they just they, they don't necessarily want to fight for it so if injuries are big and policy limit is big that that that's that's almost a negative to some law firms so it's difficult because you you kind of have to match the strong suits of the law firm with the client that slash patient that's coming into our door so it doesn't change our medical treatment but it can change our ability to perform all treatment meaning sometimes 
we give medical recommendations. Let's say somebody have has you know pain shooting down their their arms into their fingers, and we send out for an MRI, and they have a disc bulge, you know, a disc putting pressure on a nerve. So in our clinic, we might recommend something like an epidural steroid injection. A lot of times, it's interesting, and I didn't know this. This was a surprise to me. The patient will call their attorney, and they'll ask them, attorney, what do you think about this? This was my recommendation. And part of that question infers, what do you think I should do? Is, this, is, is there some benefit to my case? If I get this done, is that bad for my case? And some law firms are very much supportive of medical care. Is they'll say, you know what, I'm not a healthcare provider. So I think that you should listen to your healthcare provider. If they're recommending this procedure and they think that that this is best for you and your body and your health, I want to support you. And the relationship that works best with us and the attorneys are the attorneys that view the word recovery. Recovery is a legal word, but it's also a medical word. And I think it works the best if if the attorney understands that the patient's financial recovery is is just as important as their medical recovery instead of merely looking at at the the dollars and cents and saying you know balancing with their client how important would it be for you to re- have your symptoms resolved if if that is very important then you then you need to work toward that and that might affect the financial value, but generally it doesn't. Usually, the law firms that are supportive of the medical are the law firms that see their clients have greater satisfaction, both you know, temporarily from a financial perspective and also their own health. Right. So the, the medical treatment that um, you guys provide or, or recommend, and then the law firms who maybe are a little bit more nervous about litigation, when they get those phone calls from the clients who ask, should I do this uh, steroid injection? Should I do this medical care? Is it going to be bad for my case? Is it your experience that they maybe tell the client not to do that treatment that might be beneficial for them in some situations? Yeah, I don't think that law firms or lawyers generally say, you know what, you probably don't need it. Meaning, I don't think that they're disagreeing that this could help. But I think that I, I've just I've had so many experiences with different law firms where some law firms we work with, the clients generally get the recommended treatment. And some law firms, we recommend treatment and then the patient never comes back and the case is settled. So mm-hmm. I can only look at what happens historically mm-hmm. and then make inferences from there. Got it. Got it. Um, so what kind of law firms do you guys uh, really like working with? What kind of law firms should should be reaching out to you after listening to this podcast? What's, what's a, a good network added um, for, for your firm? It's a great question. I've never been asked that question before. Wow, that's sad. W- yeah, I know. <laughs> We are just looking to work with more people who want their clients to get better, faster. Uh, I mean, 
worked up more completely. The reason why we only do personal injury and LNI, but the reason why we don't do, we don't accept health insurance is because it limits us. Mm-hmm. Is the idea that I had early on with ProLiance accepting third-party auto was now, I realize this now, that that wasn't a solution. It was still a health insurance kind of model and a health insurance mindset. So what ProLiance would have done is they would have said, okay, we'll dedicate 5% to our payer mix of our payer mix to third-party auto, but they're still treating primarily Aetna, Cigna, Regents, Primera, Medicare, all the other patients. So they're still being treated the same. And in an orthopedic practice, what that means is they'll do one issue at a time. So you walk in and motor vehicle accidents are are um, complex. So it's different than you are playing football and you twist your knee and you have one isolated injury. Usually your impact, it I mean, it affects your whole body. Right. The, inertia the, the 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 forces the transfer of forces it really matters where your hand placements are which which side of your body the seat belt is on right. if your head is turned there's so much that goes into it from a history perspective so in our clinic 40 minutes is our average new patient time and we don't have a cap on the number of issues some person can bring up because your body is all connected to each other and your mind. I mean, headaches would be the easiest example. Somebody comes in with headaches. Why do they have headaches? And if you go into a general orthopedic practice, they would say, oh, you have neck pain. Well, your your neck pain is causing your headaches, but I'm not going to deal with your headaches. Remember only one issue at a time. So let's just focus on your neck pain isolated from all the other issues that you have. You could say the same thing with knee pain, um, but again your body is all connected to each other there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why low back pain can give you neck pain and vice versa and so spending the um, the necessary time with each of our patients asking them the right questions getting them the right treatment that only comes from being very detailed on a history we spend if if you look at our chart notes and you look at how much is said about the history is your head turned to the right. That makes a huge difference. I mean, for the listeners here, it's it's a pretty easy exercise. You, you touch your chin to your chest, and it's generally pretty easy. You can go all the way to your chest. You extend your head all the way back. You might have more pain there. There's a little bit more spinal loading that happens when you extend your head back. But then try turning your head to the right as far as you can, and then flex your head forward. And... Even if you don't have a history of neck pain, it'll still feel tight. You can't go as far forward. Doing that same thing with your head turned all the way to the right and then bend back a little bit, even if you don't have neck pain, you will, you'll reach a point where it hurts. And this because of the facet joints in the spine. It loads them to a maximum level. So if your head is turned to the right, if you're driving and your head's turned to the, turned to the right and you're talking, this happened to me a year ago. I was in an accident maybe a year and a half ago now, I was turned to the right. Do you have an attorney? I do have an attorney. <laughs> of course I have an attorney. Good, good. My, my head was turned to the right. I was talking to my wife and got rear-ended, and I immediately felt neck pain. And I knew, well, of course I have neck pain. I didn't see the accident coming. 
and my head was turned to the right, it doesn't take very your head very far to snap forward before you feel pain and, and kind of that tension and tearing. And for six months, I dealt, uh, yeah, at least six months, I was dealing with issues. And I understood all of this. What I wasn't expecting was concussion symptoms. I didn't lose consciousness. I was very... I was I was confused. I, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't focus on things. And that came from someone who deals with car accidents as a healthcare provider. I didn't know all of this, but going through my own experience caused me to change the way our clinics ask questions. So there's so much to learn with the healthcare. So just, just to summarize, you asked one question and I kept going, but to summarize, what are we looking for in terms of an attorney partner? And I would say an attorney partner who wants to really partner with the healthcare. You know, I, I don't know everything about what attorneys do legally, and and but I I, I you know want to trust that the attorneys kind of know what they're doing and are partnering with other attorneys to get better. But we, we are we really more than I think anyone else in the state. Our group. We have more locations, you know, where we service a lot of these patients on a, on a daily basis. And we really do focus on these complex, uh, you know, it, injuries and we understand how it works. And I think that communication between what we're doing and then being able to dialogue with their law firm and that they're open to it and willing, even if they've been doing it for 30, 40 years, to know that there might be another way of of doing it that isn't just the general follow-up with your primary health care provider um, because the health care is different do you uh, at what part of the process do you uh as a as a care provider prefer to be involved like if if a client came into my law firm right now said i was in a car accident t two minutes ago uh at what point in the process do you guys as a clinic like to be involved that's a great question because my answer has changed a few years ago, I would have said, how oh, about two months? And the reason is because in the beginning, it's acute, you know, and, and everyone kind of understands what happens if you twist your ankle and that that's an acute injury. And then the ankle sprain, it, it gets better after the swelling goes down. They say after about six or eight weeks, as long as it hasn't affected really the ligaments, then it should be it should be good to go. For our clinic, we started as a pain management practice. So a lot of interventional pain physicians that can do things, you know, different facet injections. And, and now we're doing a lot of, of PRP, regenerative medicine, and it's been great. But I, I was telling people, I was telling referring healthcare providers, you know, law firms um, about two months. And, and then I, a couple of years ago, I realized we're missing all of the head injuries. And I think head, head injury is the, is the number one most undiagnosed or undertreated uh, condition out there. I didn't realize how pertinent or how relevant, not pertinent, but how relevant it was um, in our clinic until, until a few years ago. So if somebody gets into a really bad accident and the um, EMT comes and they go to the hospital, then they might diagnose a head injury but the recommended treatment is, well, it will get better by itself, so just go rest. And there isn't a follow-up from the emergency room. There definitely isn't a follow-up from an urgent care. So these patients, you know, they don't know any better. So they go home, they rest, 
Some of their symptoms might subside after a few weeks, but they didn't receive any treatment for it. And they might only have one lingering symptom and they might not know that it's correlated to the head injury. I didn't even really recognize it until it was pointed out to me. There are so many different symptoms that are correlated. One thing that surprised me a lot is headaches. You think headache, neck pain, you know, maybe it's coming from the forehead. Uh, there's a lot of people who get, you know, Botox for headaches, things like that. But eye tracking issues is a major reason why people after a whiplash injury have post-concussive syndrome. And then in the reason why they have chronic headaches is because their eyes don't track after the accident. What does that mean? What does eye tracking mean? So if you go into a doctor's office and you say, I have, uh, I, you know, my, my eyes aren't succinct. People don't know that. Okay. They don't go to the doctor and say, my eyes aren't working properly. They just say, I feel like crap and I have headaches, maybe a little bit of blurry vision. So your eyes are, uh, um, they, they move, you know, they're, they're not controlled from, from a singular center. They're, they're controlled by different halves of your hemisphere, of, of your uh, brain hemisphere. And they're controlled by the back that from the occipital portion of your brain. So they start in the back of your brain on different hemispheres. And then, and then as they go forward, they cross and then they go into your eyes. And so there's a lot going on. Not only do they start in the back, but it also crosses midway. So your eyes are controlled separately. As, you're, as you get, let's say you're rear-ended in, in an auto accident, and then your head uh, whiplashes forward and your brain sloshes around. Well, if your brain sloshes around, that's also going to be where your eyes are, are centrally located in terms of the, the you know vision area. So it's very common for people. Um, if you're doing the, you go to a doctor's office, they say, follow your finger. And that historically, that's what doctors do is, is they, 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 they have you focus on their finger. You go left, right, up, down, and then they go close to your nose and far away. And then they watch both of your eyes to make sure that they move at the same time. That's a very subjective way of doing it. Now technology has come a long way and we do this with, with, uh, you know, some computer programs where the, a camera focuses on both of your eyes. And so as the patient moves their eyes, you know, follows something and moves in a circle um, or, or, you know, focus on depth perception, things like that, then the computer software will show that one eye is tracking differently than, than the other one. Mm. And if you're having lagging by one eye or it's not going in a smooth circle, it's kind of you know, um, like jumping. a, like a step, yeah. Jumping or like a static a hand on a watch. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So th that's going to affect if you're doing that all day and you're moving your head from side to side, that's going to affect your vision and, and it's going to give you headaches. Mm -hmm. So the, um, eye tracking and headaches are two potential indicators that someone has a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. There's a lot of other ones. One of my favorite is called the ACE questionnaire. You can just Google ACE questionnaire. It's a government website, mm -hmm. and there's a bunch of different questions. There's you know physical symptoms. There's you know mental symptoms. I mean, a, a lot of the the ways that we find out that a patient of ours is has had some sort of a concussion is asking their spouse if they've had mood changes since the accident. 
You're like, yeah, they're angrier since the accident. Yeah. And that's that's very helpful. So most of these symptoms, they they come up after a few weeks after the accident. So you want to be able to establish a baseline for these patients. It's not good enough to say you are concussed or you're not concussed. Go home and rest. It's important that we have something, some data to show where you really are at as a starting point. So the easiest way would be something like an ACE questionnaire where they fill out, it's just a zero or a one. Do you have the symptom or do you not have the symptom? And then at the end, you add all the numbers up and then it gives you a score. So if they came into our clinic, if a, a law firm says, oh, hey, you were in an accident and now you're my client and I know a place that maybe the emergency department, they diagnose a concussion, but I have a place that you should probably go to to make sure that that's followed up on and tracked properly. Then they could be sent over to our clinic. We can see them sooner rather than later to establish that baseline. And then that way we can see them two, two weeks after that, four weeks after that, have them fill out the same thing to make sure that their symptoms are resolving. Okay. So that, uh, the answer to the question of how soon would you like to see him? You said it's changed from maybe two months was the the original time frame that you'd like to see a client because it was based on that acute level of injury. And now that you're dealing with uh, the misdiagnosis or non-treatment of head injuries, you like to see them immediately after the accidents. Yes, immediately is better. You yeah. just you just catch more things if mm -hmm. you see them in the acute stage. Do you think that it benefits the client to still see their primary health care provider or an urgent care before coming to your office for treatment or to jump straight to you guys and then have you handle referrals for anything else that they might need? Yeah, I think that there's still a place for urgent care and emergency. They are concerned with making sure that somebody is stable I mean, that's not really where you would come to our clinic if you are not in a stable condition. Yeah, if there's a bone <laughs> sticking out of exactly. the skin, that's not you guys. Yeah, got, or got lacerations it. or anything like that. I mean, if you're worried about, I don't know, the accident giving you heart issues and you need to get that checked out. I mean, there's there's many reasons why somebody should consider to go to an urgent um, care facility. But after that, if they are stable... We, we will catch things. We spend more time with our patients, you know, so we, we will catch more things than if they uh, went to an urgent care. Usually they'll talk about one or two conditions and then move on from there. So I think both can make sense. Primary care provider, I'll tell you this. I mean, primary care, they, they're also paid per kind of condition. Well, it's, it's a CPT code. So if they... It, the, so there, it's it's an ENM code would be evaluation and management that would be a new patient code nine nine two zero three four five. So <laughs> a new patient comes in to see a healthcare provider that's taking let's say for example their Primera insurance. That healthcare provider is already paid a certain code level for seeing that patient. The primary care provider is not going to say to the patient, tell me about all of your injuries in detail. Tell me about your accident in detail. And I'm going to be, it, it, no matter how long it takes, and I'm going to be very detailed because I want to, because this is a med legal situation. Right. And also I know that 
Motor vehicle collisions can be very complex. So please, let's spend the time and go through everything. It's not like that. Usually it is a one, potentially two condition sort of a visit. I personally have been cut off from a PCP before going into a second condition and having it be, oh, if you have something else, you can schedule another visit. So I don't think that the primary care provider is the best place to go to for an injury situation. And I think for people who aren't uh, lawyers practicing personal injury, it, it might be surprising to find out that um, not all medical providers are writing the same things in these chart notes in their records and that the the records and chart notes eventually are turned over as part of a demand package and as part of, God forbid, litigation mm-hmm. um, in, in people's car accident cases. So what you're saying is your office because you spend the time developing the background, the history, all of the uh, potential medical chronology from previous injuries and previous car accidents and all these other things to with the anticipation of it being a lawsuit Mm -hmm. because you only work with people who are represented by an attorney, you have the eye on the med legal side of it that maybe an urgent care or a primary care provider just doesn't really care about. I mean, that's true. Yes, you have to. We go into each case knowing that it is medical and legal, which means that our all of our providers are looking at each new patient with the eyes of how was how were these injuries caused by the accident? Because it, it has to make sense if somebody has shoulder pain or let's say a bad shoulder injury, a rotator cuff tear, a slap tear, and they were driving the car. It is important that that healthcare provider knows how, what is the mechanism of injury behind a shoulder injury for somebody who's driving a car. Does that make sense? Does it make sense to them? Because if if not, if they're not thinking through that, then it's you know I I, I think they're they're doing they're they're potentially doing their their patients a disservice by not understanding mechanism. But that's also, it's not to, it's not their fault. It's not part of their training medically. They're, they, um, you know, primary healthcare providers don't love joint pain either. They don't love neck or back pain because usually it's chronic to them and they're giving medications for it and they're not specialized in treating it. That's why a lot of times a primary healthcare provider will just say, just go try some massage or some physical therapy. It's it's not on finding the right diagnosis for it because you have to diagnose something properly first before you can understand how to treat it. But usually a PCP will say, I think this is just back pain. I, I haven't real. I probably haven't done x-rays, probably haven't done an MRI, um, haven't done a lot of orthopedic testing on this because I'm you're sandwiched in between a whole bunch of other patients. I know PCPs that see 30, 40 people a day. And our, our, our doctors, I mean, 13 would be a busy day. And so there, there's just, there's just a, a, a huge difference. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, the, the amount of patients and the amount of time to be able to understand these complex injuries, get the right diagnosis first, and then figure out treatment. And so at your office, after you go through the diagnosis um, process with a a new patient, 
what's the treatment process like? Do you guys help to manage their care with other chiropractors? Do you help them to to find other primary or not primary, but but specialist doctors mm -hmm. that can do the things that that you've diagnosed as issues for them? Yeah. That is something that we've worked a lot for. We've had to create our own network. So Seattle Spine and Sports Medicine is interventional pain. And as a young chiropractor, I thought, well, interventional pain physicians, maybe they can do everything. That was my me being naive. And I thought that I would just need to have this one type of specialty and then the rest would figure itself out. And I quickly learned that they have their own limitations also. So I think it was only three or four months after opening Seattle Spine and Sports Medicine in Renton where I thought, oh my gosh, we need orthopedic surgeons now. You know, you can't fix everyone with a steroid shot or PRP or something like that. Some people need surgery, especially for that instance of uh, that, that example of a shoulder issue. Mm -hmm. If you have a complete rotator cuff tear and you paint for a living, and it's your dominant arm, you have to have that repaired if you want to keep painting. And so very early on, I realized I, I needed, I, anyway, I needed to find that solution. And so I found a different business partner who was an orthopedic surgeon to bring that. And so currently we have, again, interventional pain physicians, and we have over 10 orthopedic surgeons, and we have a whole brain injury team. So brain injury is very complex. I gave the one example of eye tracking. The specialty for that would be a neurooptometrist. Wow. You have cognitive therapists. You have um, you have clinical psychologists. You have speech pathologists. Uh, there's the the list goes on. I want to say we have I don't know six or seven different specialists that are treating for just concussion or TBI, and we're always looking for more. Uh, we're, we've, we're looking for an oral surgeon right now because sometimes people's teeth get knocked out. And yeah. if, if someone w wants to show me a dentist that will wait two years to be paid, I'm happy to work with them. It's difficult <laughs> to find. Dentists are used to being paid in cash, you know, up front, especially dental specialists, like an oral surgeon. And so it's very difficult for them to go into this space. But we're always trying to find other solutions. So... Speaking of orthopedic surgery, it's it's not we're the only people that I know of in the state of Washington that are doing a third party surgery and waiting two years to get paid on it, where we have to pay the anesthesia up front. We have to pay the facility up front. We have to pay the implants and all of that. It's very risky, especially in some instances where patients are so unhealthy or they need such a comprehensive surgery where they have to stay overnight, multiple nights in not just a surgery center, but in a hospital. And then we have to sign an agreement with the hospital that we owe all the bills if crap goes wrong. And right. so, but in order for our patients to even get approved, they have to sometimes see their cardiologist and get approval. They have to see, they have to go get blood work done. And if they don't have health insurance, then we have to find these people and we have to figure out how they can be paid in order to even get to surgery. Wow. So there's many things along the way that we have to deal with to get patients treatment, but we don't do everything. We will ne we'll never do chiropractic treatment because chiropractors, we have a lot of great partners out there, you know, in every city. 
that are treating these patients. Same thing with physical therapy. We have some good physical therapy partners. Vestibular rehab is something that we f- not farm out. I guess that's a bad term, but that that we um, refer. that we refer out to physical therapists to do. Um, which for those of you who don't know, vestibular therapy would be if they have an inner ear or a balance issue after their whiplash, which is also fairly common. Talk to me a bit, if you if you can, about some of the challenges working with other law firms. What do you see as uh, a potential roadblock when you're working with a brand new attorney that you've not worked with before that you're hoping to build a relationship with? What are things that they can be aware of that you're going to look at and and help to best treat these clients and and patients yeah i think the only difficulty that that comes in any relationship is when expectations aren't met by either side and so that's the first thing that i try to do when i speak with a new lawyer or law firm is try to understand what they expect from a good uh, medical partner and of course, I have expectations on my side too. I, you know, communication is is a big part of it. I want the law firm to be supportive of the healthcare, um, of because it, it's not me; it's it's our physicians, and our physicians want to make sure that they're being supported, or they have somebody that's supporting them when they're giving recommendations. So maybe, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll give a couple examples. So one thing, and I had alluded to the fact earlier that this only works when there's a relationship between us or our our group and the lawyer. And part of that relationship is kind of defined, um, you know, there, there's, there's what's called a letter of protection. So letter of representation and a letter of protection are two different things. Of course, letter of representation just says that that client is being represented by the law firm. A letter of protection is something that, uh, and it's it's called a letter of guarantee sometimes. I don't like that verbiage because lawyers that have never heard that think that they that the lawyers are somehow guaranteeing payment even if a case goes sideways and so the protection word i just think sounds better we do too okay (laughs) (laughs) and we i also understand that the obligation to the attorney is really to their client not to me as the healthcare provider so and and i'm I've spent you know a lot of time educating or at least discussing this with a lot of law firms saying you are not in any way stepping on your client's toes by signing something with us saying that you will pay us directly out of the proceeds of the settlement. And that's really what the letter protection is designed for because without that the client upon settlement could ask the lawyer or the law firm to pay them the client the money that is owed to pay their medical bills and the issue with that is if a client gets a check for what they owe for the medical bills will they actually go to their doctor and pay their medical bills in our experience no yeah (laughs) it doesn't happen they will buy a new car or something (laughs) else with that money that says sweet free money and and uh, and then I have called up the law firms. So we used to not do letters of protection or we used to not be very good about getting those signed. So maybe 
the client or the patient would sign it on their first day. They would fill out their new patient paperwork, and part of that was letter protection. We would send it out to the lawyer, but then we wouldn't have any follow-up process for making sure that the law firm signed it, and we got burned a couple times. I would say that it was mostly out-of-state attorneys, um, a lot from California, Mm. um, and maybe Arizona, maybe Texas, but there, there are different ways of practicing law, and there's different relationships in depending on the state that you live in. And I think that was one of the issues that we ran into early on is because we are the, I mean, Seattle Spine is seven locations now, and we deal with so many, um, so much volume, so many, you know, patients. We have a reputation not only here in Washington, but in other places. If someone from California or Arizona, uh, uh, you know, gets signs up a client and they live in Washington or they move to Washington, They'll hear about us and they'll reach out to us. And then we begin that conversation about expectations. And sometimes that conversation starts with a lawyer saying something like, uh, this patient has PIP, but what I like to do is get the PIP money paid out to me. And then you, the healthcare provider, submit bills to me, the attorney, and I get to decide whether or not you get paid. You know, there, there's very interesting conversations that I've had. Um, or I have had attorneys say, I would like to send my clients there as long as you understand that I will be asking a 50% reduction at the end of the case. No matter what the bills are, no matter what the value is for the claim, anything, that that's the expectation. I've had law firms call and say, <laughs> ask about our billing practices and realize that we operate on usual and customary or reasonable, you know, you have to answer the question legally, is it reasonable and necessary? Well, part of reasonable is what you charge and can, can you justify your billing? And we stand behind that. We, we've never been, our, our billing hasn't been in question because it's reasonable, mm -hmm. but there are, it, personal injury in other states specifically has operated in a way where where people don't have to, for some interesting reason, people don't have to answer that question. And so I've been asked by an attorney, what do you charge for an epidural steroid injection? And I, and I answer, and, and they kind of laugh at that. And they said, that, that's ridiculous. We're used to facilities where we're at charging 10, 20 times that number because in that case, maybe everyone wins. They charge 20 times. They take a 50% cut. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I've just realized in other places, not Washington, it's a bit of, it's more of a game. Mm. And Washington historically isn't that way. And I, I, I really like that. I like that I practice at a state where, um, you know, the chiropractors, the, the, there's not a lot of medical options uh, where we're kind of it. There's, there's a couple other little ones that are scattered around, but but we we you know the, the the billing needs to be kept in check and that's good for the attorneys and it, and it's really good for the patients they right. don't want to get in the middle of this like interesting game of crazy bills no and huge reductions no so yeah and and the i'm i'm trying to think other expectations i i you know it's just understanding if the um if the attorney working with litigates cases is a big thing, because if they litigate, then I know that if, if, if there's, you know, policy that supports 
you know, us providing certain treatment. I know that the law firm's going to litigate. Doesn't mean that they're going to win. Does we do we have to to write off cases sometimes? Yes, we have to write off because we are operating the same way that the the lawyer operates. You know, we we're spending money up front to provide care or the lawyer to provide their services, and then sometimes things happen and you don't always get the resolution, but it's a relationship. You work together. And yeah. if if something happens, I mean attorney if your client lies there's nothing you can do about it you know but ho hopefully you have a good relationship with your healthcare you know the the person who's who who has bills and then they should understand yeah well i think that that's all really great feedback for uh, attorneys who are listening or uh, potential motor vehicle accident clients who might think that this is a great uh, resource for helping to understand the treatments that they need to to move their case forward um can you speak a little bit more about why being a litigation law firm is beneficial from a treatment provider standpoint? My understanding is the insurance companies know who litigates and who doesn't. I mean, it makes sense. I think mm -hmm. that if for any business, you're going to have stats, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're going to record um, who does what. And if, you know, you can justify treatment not not justifying treatment but you know we we want to make sure that if we are giving patients the treatment that they need that they are also going to be taken care of on the other side of it meaning their bills are going to be paid and you know hopefully the the client is fairly compensated whatever that means and i've just i've been around long enough to see that that you know taking the, the second or third offer from the insurance company. And if you never litigate and you just every single time you, you write your demand and then you, you know, the, you, you play that game of high, low, high, low a couple times. And then the insurance company says final offer and you take it every time you're probably going to get lowballed offers the first few times. Yeah. And why that matters to me is because that will translate to the, the discounts that they ask on on at, at the end on, on, you know if 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 a law firm is always asking for 20 percent discount or 30 or whatever it is it it usually in my experience means that that law firm doesn't litigate that, that they're not fighting for the cases so the insurance companies are saying well we're just going to lowball them three times because we know they're going to take it yeah and i coming from the heart the heart of this you know i've i i've seen the discrepancy I don't always hear on the back end. I generally don't hear what the 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 resolution of the case. You know, we we get some law firms. You know, they I know they get good re resolutions because they pay our medical bills in full. But I have heard enough from certain clients. You know, not not me directly, but my team will interface with with the law firms, and some people on the same care get three times the settlement on average than than you know working with other law firms so when a patient gets sent to us and we work them up and then maybe they see one of our surgeons and they need a surgery and they get the surgery in the back of my mind i i will look at well i'm not even the back of my mind i i will i'll always look at who the attorney is because we have to call the attorney and have a conversation hey here here are the estimated costs you know let's let's figure out policy limits all of that but you're also thinking, if you've worked a lot with this lawyer, 
you you know what their what their hesitation is. Oh, this this is a big bill. Regardless of the policy limit size, some some lawyers are a, a, a little bit you know they're they're nervous, maybe even a little bit allergic to higher bills because they're not necessarily in the mindset of fighting all the way. It could be a commercial policy. You know, they were hit by a commercial truck or an Uber driver or something like that. Yeah. But policy limits only matter if the lawyer or the law firm is willing to fight for it. So, uh, doctor, can you tell us a little bit about your intake process at Seattle Spine? Yes. This is something that we've worked on the last few years refining uh, because when we first started doing third party work, we would get referred over you know, patients we would start treating and we would have a bill, whatever it was. And then by the time the, the cases settled, you know, sometimes we our, our bill was more than what the policy limits w- were. And so it, it became apparent that it was important for us to understand what the limits were. Unfortunately, this is a little bit difficult in Washington state because it is a non-disclosure state on the third party side. So it's the attorneys, the law firms, the good law firms will figure out what PIP and UIM is. By the way, I can't tell you how many times somebody has been a client for six months or more at a law firm and have the law firm says, say, I don't know if they have UIM. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> just, just so everyone knows. That's a question your client can figure out with one phone call. There's no reason to wait six months to figure that out. Exactly. And I don't even know if some lawyers know that you can stack policies in Washington state. And by that, for the, if any of the listeners don't know if, if there's a uninsured motorist policy and PIP and a third party policy, you can combine all of those together. And that's helpful in terms of medical treatment and, you know, how, how much, how much can we uh, uh, spend? So if a, a new patient gets sent over, the first thing that we do is reach out to their lawyer to try to get an understanding of um, the policy, the policy limits. You know, we, we want to know, uh, if if they've been to the emergency room or um, urgent care had MRI scans, maybe it's a if if they don't have PIP or uninsured motors at all, and it's a third party, and the third party is unknown. This is very common that we have to assume it's the minimum size, right. and the minimum size in Washington is twenty five thousand dollars. So, if someone gets referred over, they've seen a chiropractor for six months. They they. They, they went to the emergency room right after the accident. They had a CT scan, you know, some other things. And then they get sent over to us. Then at that point, you know, maybe it was a chiropractor that referred over to us. And maybe the the law firm didn't know that that referral happened. It, it's, it wouldn't be good or in anyone's best interest for us to say, well, you know what? It doesn't matter what anyone else has done. We're just going to do our thing regardless of how it affects everyone else. So we have to get more information from the law firm. So if they say, yeah, we think it's a minimum policy case, and then we found out because of the emergency bills, you know, it, there, there's really nothing we can do. That's our pre-authorization process. So just like with workers' comp, with health insurance, you have to pre-auth a visit. So 
we think it's part of our responsibility to do the same thing for a car accident case, just That's to great. make sure we're good and we're on the same page. Well, we reach out to the law firm, we get that information and let them know the patient is establishing care with us, send out the letter of protection so we're on the same page in terms of payment downstream. And then at that point, what we really love and rely on for our attorney partners is for attorneys to do status updates. The the best law firms work work better if they're if they're asking questions along the way with their clients. Some people do it monthly, some people do it more or less frequency. The and and it, I, I think it's imperative for some law firms do nothing in terms of status <laughs> updates. They say that they sign up a client, they say, Okay, now you're my client. Good luck with your own health care. Call me when you're better. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you've seen that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. And I think we do a good job at our clinic um, with understanding, um, you know, with, with with helping patients and moving them along in their healthcare. But the attorneys hold a lot of power in in terms of you know the trust and the fact that it's medical and it's legal. And if if the client doesn't feel like things are progressing from a legal aspect, they are. They're 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 uh, um, reluctant, reluctant. Thank you. They're more reluctant to continue on with medical Absolutely. treatment and recommendations. If they don't trust their attorney, they don't trust the value that the attorney placed on their case. Mm-hmm. And it makes them scared that they're going to be stuck with medical bills at the end of this case, along with no recovery. Yes. And it makes them reluctant to get the care that they need because they don't trust their law firm. Yep. Yeah. How many times we have called up a patient and said, why did you miss your last two appointments? And their answer is, I can't get a hold of my attorney. Yikes. <laughs> well, they should come to Brumley Law Firm <laughs> right here in Kent, Washington. There you go. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you for that uh, uh, tip. And um, thank you for all this great insight. Of course. Um, it's absolutely imperative, I think, from a legal standpoint, that um, the client's the healthcare providers and the law firms all have really good communication throughout the process. At Brumley Law Firm, we actually require all the case managers who are helping to be the point of contact from the law firm point of view for the uh, clients to do care calls every single month. Mm-hmm. So our case managers are actually reaching out to the clients, asking for updates and treatment. Sometimes we find out from the clients at that point that they're going to see other hair healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't want to find that out at the end of the case. Yep. We want to find that out while it's going on. We want to dialogue with those care providers and say, what kind of treatment are you giving our clients? What kind of billing are you giving to our clients? Are you trying to bill PIP and you don't mm-hmm. know PIP's exhausted already? Yep. Things like that. So um, helping to prevent those issues from that open communication in the beginning of the process during the treatment phase of the process is something that I think a lot of law firms fall short on. And uh, it's something that we here um, really try to to keep at a high high standard. When you guys are really good with status updates, you, you guys also want our, our progress notes. Yes. Um, along the way, which is more work for us, a medical clinic, to say, okay, after your clients have been treated, even it might even be this routine follow-up visit, you guys still want to know what the recommendation, where that client is at, because you want your thumb on the pulse. right? And you want to make sure that what the client is telling you is consistent with what you are getting from the treatment records, because there, th- that, that can be inconsistent. 
is we see it all the time when we order records from another facility and those records say that the patient is all better and have no pain and then the patient is coming in and and they more or less tell us well i i I was just kind of done going there yeah. You know, I or or I I was frustrated, or you know, and a lot of times there's there's got there's gaps of treatment because of of frustrations, and so to be following up is 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 just you you you, you have to do it. Critical. <laughs> you have to be on the same page. I'll also say I've I've personally been treated by I don't know how many chiropractors in my life, mm-hmm. and they are not all the same. That's you true. Know, chiropractic yep. care is very different from different chiropractors. Mm-hmm. And there were chiropractors that I went to that I said, wow, I'm going to be a vocal advocate for chiropractic mm-hmm. care for everyone forever. And then I went to a, 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 a specific chiropractor that I'm thinking of who is a great person. And after I left their office, every single time I felt worse. Oh, wow. And it made me not want to go back to that clinic. Yeah. And it was it was tough because... I cared about that person and mm-hmm. I cared about that business yep. and I cared about the relationship that my law firm had mm-hmm. with that business. Yep. But eventually I had to stop going to treatment at that provider and I was not better. Yes. And maybe I didn't tell that provider, hey, I don't want to come here because you're making my neck feel worse. I told that provider maybe I'm feeling better mm-hmm. and then saved mm-hmm. face immediately yep. by going to a different yep. chiropractor. Yep. But that chiropractor is going to put in their notes. He said he was feeling better. Yes. And that's another reason yeah. maybe that that inconsistency, maybe people are too nice. They, yeah. they maybe are reluctant to put how they're really feeling on mm-hmm. some of these chart notes because in their head, they this is someone that was referred from their son-in-law or mm-hmm. whoever, you know, yeah. they don't want to hurt feelings. But when you need to get the care that you need and your your care is the primary purpose, you're going to these providers, that needs to be consistent in the medical in the medical documentation. Yep, definitely. Absolutely. And one other thing that I'll add, the the law firms like yours, where we might recommend, let's go back to the epidural steroid injection comment. Um, you know, we in in Washington a, a lot of the limits are unknown. And it is not, you know, our job to kind of know where where we're at. It's it's really nice when the law firm is communicative with us, right? Because we don't want to be in the, you know, we're 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 not their lawyer, so we're not choosing whether or not to treat someone or not to treat someone based on policy limits. We want the attorney partner to have their thumb on the pulse. So if we recommend something like an epidural steroid injection and there's a policy limits issue it's really nice when when you know your law firm or the attorney will will call up the third party adjuster and say this is the recommendation and we need to understand if if it's if it's minimum or not because the the client is continually needing more treatment based on their injuries and so we need to know from you do we just settle it now or is is there more room to be able to continue to get more treatment? Right. Because we have instances, I mean, now, again, we're one of the only places that does surgery on a third-party lien. So we will get the worst cases. We get huge, burly dudes in here who are crying to us that they've had this pain for three, six months. 
can't make love to their wife or whatever because yeah. they're back pain yeah. and and we you know we we don't know what to do i mean we can only you you can't do surgery on a minimum policy case you just can't you know it's just not it's not it's not there's there's not enough in right, there right. and so but we've had we've had people who are who come in and they have like a cervical myelopathy which is which is pressure on the spinal cord and these patients generally they have symptoms like they're losing the ability to walk they're losing the ability to write and they need urgent surgery and there's times where our attorney partners have been amazing in calling them and saying they need to have surgery tomorrow so we need to you know we, we, we need to know how we, much of a pie we, we're yeah, dealing with. We, we need to figure this out because the two options are we do it right away or we send them to the emergency room. And if we send them to the, well, like the, no matter what, they need the surgery because mm -hmm. it's an urgent situation. But we need to have that back and forth, that relationship. And so, um, you know, being, and, and there, there's so many young law firms out there. There are, there's so many law firms that, that, you know, lawyers that will do a bunch of different types of things. And if this isn't your specialty, personal injury, personal injury, mm -hmm. sorry. Yep. Personal injury. If, if you're not confident litigating big cases, I would say line up with somebody who is you know, co-counseling is not a bad thing. And finding somebody who's an expert in that thing, instead of maybe out of nervousness or just wanting to settle quickly, you know, going down that route, I would say, find somebody else who's an expert in it and partner up with them. And I've seen that go really well. Great. In closing, in closing, what does it mean to be an iron mind attorney or an, have an iron mind? What does that mean to you? Yeah. So this is, I was thinking about this on the way over here. So iron mind, and I looked, I went to the dictionary. I mean, just trying to understand iron as a metal. I don't know if this has been talked about before, but iron's a strong metal, but it's also moldable, and it's used, you know, in by by people to uh, be because you under certain pressures you can mold it, but it has to be the right pressure, and obviously you can mold something in a positive way or in a negative way. And I think about how my business has been, and I think about my relationship with attorneys over the years. And I have seen our business change a lot over the last five, six years. And I've seen a lot of lawyers change over the last five, six years. But that I've also seen some lawyers do the same thing the last five, six years because it worked five or six years before that. It worked 10, 15 years ago. And if I've learned anything from personal injury is it is not the same now as it was 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And we are doing the best that we can to have a the right balance of steadying ourselves and moving in the right direction, but then also being willing and amenable to change in the right ways. And so we're not hard-headed. I don't think hard-headed is an iron mind. <laughs> you know, your mind and your head are two different things, but you have to be, so you want to be focused on the goal and make sure that you are always improving yourself but you have to be willing from outside sources from people whispering in your ear that there might be even a little tweak a better way of doing things and listen to those around you i mean i've i i have partners for a reason it's not always easy to have a business partner but i have 
I'm a chiropractor. And when I wanted to have a outside of scope clinic, I, I didn't just do it myself and not rely on somebody else. I, I had a, you know, physician partners who have been in this because first and foremost, I want to have good medicine in our clinic. You know, uh, uh, Richard Cerusi, he has coined the phrase, and I'll use this, care before cash. And I love that because healthcare is what we do and it's what we focus on. Um, but there are things that we can do in a better way for our patients. And then also with, you know, again, w on the legal side of it, from a legal perspective, there are things that we can do that we've changed. So I hope that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely does. Um, there, uh, that I thought of another one that we didn't ask earlier that we absolutely should. How many locations do you have and where are they? Yes, yeah, so we have seven locations. Uh, I'm not involved with two of them. So Seattle and Linwood predates me. and But the other five are um, me and another business partner. Um, so me and two other business partners. So Everett and Renton, Pialop, Gig Harbor, and Lacey. Great. So yeah. if, if people are geographically located next to any of those, they know that they can come to you for some treatment. Yes, they can. Awesome. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you guys have any social media, anything that people could follow, the website? Give us a give us a plug. I mean, seattlespine.com. I will say that if anyone has any questions, just reaching out to me directly. I'll give you my cell. We'll, do that we'll on here. Your, we'll post, no? your, post no? your cell phone on the internet. For no, maybe years. not. <laughs> maybe email. Okay. All right. Maybe not. <laughs> Great. Well, seattlespine.com. Thank you so much for joining us. This right. has been super beneficial. Hopefully... Everyone who's listening learned something great. Okay, thank you. <laughs>